0: Section 48 of Gray's Anatomy, Part 5. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Laurie Ann Walden. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 5. By Henry Gray. Surface Markings of Special Regions of the Head and Neck, Part 1. The Cranium. Scalp. The soft parts covering the upper surface of the skull form the scalp and comprise the following layers. 1. Skin 2. Subcutaneous tissue 3. Occipitalis frontalis and gallia aponeurotica 4. Subaponeurotic tissue 5. Pericranium The subcutaneous tissue consists of a close meshwork of fibers, the meshes of which contain fatty tissue the fibers bind the skin and galea aponeurotica firmly together so that when the occipitalis or the frontalis is in action the skin moves with the aponeurosis the subaponeurotic tissue which intervenes between the galea aponeurotica and the pericranium is much looser in texture and permits the movement of the aponeurosis over the underlying bones bony landmarks In addition to the bony points already described, which can be determined by palpation, the following are utilized for surface markings. Auricular point, the center of the orifice of the external acoustic meatus. Preauricular point, a point on the posterior root of the zygomatic arch immediately in front of the external acoustic meatus. Asterion. The point of meeting of the lambdoidal, masto-occipital, and masto-parietal sutures. It lies 4 cm behind and 12 mm above the level of the auricular point. Terion The point where the great wing of the sphenoid joins the sphenoidal angle of the parietal. It is situated 35 mm behind and 12 mm above the level of the frontozygomatic suture. Inion The external occipital protuberance Lambda, the point of meeting of the lambdoidal and sagittal sutures. It is in the middle line about 6.5 centimeters above the enneon. Bregma, the meeting point of the coronal and sagittal sutures. It lies at the point of intersection of the middle line of the scalp with a line drawn vertically upward through the preauricular point. A line passing through the inferior margin of the orbit and the auricular point is known as Reed's base line. The lambdoidal suture can be indicated on either side by the upper two-thirds of a line from the lambda to the tip of the mastoid process. The sagittal suture is in the line joining the lambda to the bregma. The position of the coronal suture on either side is sufficiently represented by a line joining the bregma to the center of the zygomatic arch. The floor of the middle fossa of the skull is at the level of the posterior three-fourths of the upper border of the zygomatic arch. The articular eminence of the temporal bone is opposite the foramen spinosum and the semilunar ganglion. Brain. The general outline of the cerebral hemisphere on either side may be mapped out on the surface in the following manner. Starting from the nasion, a line drawn along the middle of the scalp to the inion represents the superior border. The line of the lower margin behind is that of the transverse sinus, or, more roughly, a line convex upward from the enion to the posterior root of the zygomatic process of the temporal bone, thence along the posterior two-thirds of the upper border of the zygomatic arch, where the line turns up to the terion. The front part of the lower margin extends from the terion to the glabella, about one centimeter above the supraorbital margin. The cerebellum is so deeply situated that there is no reliable surface marking for it, a point 4 centimeters behind and 1.5 centimeters below the level of the auricular point is situated directly over it. The relations of the principal fissures and gyri of the cerebral hemispheres to the surface of the scalp are of considerable practical importance, and several methods of indicating them have been devised. Necessarily, these methods can only be regarded as approximately correct, yet they are all sufficiently accurate for surgical purposes. The longitudinal fissure corresponds to the medial line of the scalp between the nasion and inion. In order to mark out the lateral cerebral Sylvian fissure, a point termed the Sylvian point, which practically corresponds to the terion, is defined 35 mm behind and 12 mm above the level of the frontozygomatic suture. This point marks the spot where the lateral fissure divides. Another method of defining the sylvian point is to divide the distance between the nasion and inion into four equal parts. From the junction of the third and fourth parts, reckoning from the front, draw a line to the frontozygomatic suture. From the junction of the first and second parts, a line to the auricular point. These two lines intersect at the sylvian point, and the portion of the first line behind this point overlies the posterior ramus of the lateral cerebral fissure. The position of the posterior ramus can otherwise be obtained by joining the sylvian point to a point two centimeters below the summit of the parietal eminence. The anterior ascending ramus can be marked out by drawing a line upward at right angles to the line of the posterior ramus for two centimeters, and the anterior horizontal ramus by a line of the same length drawn horizontally forward, both from the sylvian point. To define the central sulcus, fissure of Rolando, two points are taken. One is situated 1.25 cm behind the center of the line joining the nasion and inion. The second is at the intersection of the line of the posterior ramus of the lateral cerebral fissure, with a line through the preauricular point, at right angles to Reed's baseline. The upper 9 cm of the line joining these two points overlies the central sulcus and forms an angle, opening forward of about 70 degrees with the middle line of the scalp. An alternative method is to draw two perpendicular lines from Reed's baseline to the top of the head, one from the preauricular point and the other from the posterior border of the mastoid process at its root. A line from the upper end of the posterior line to the point where the anterior intersects the line of the posterior ramus of the lateral fissure indicates the position of the central sulcus. The precentral and postcentral sulci are practically parallel to the central sulcus. They are situated, respectively, about 15 mm in front of and behind it. The superior frontal sulcus can be mapped out by a line drawn from the junction of the upper and middle thirds of the precentral sulcus, in a direction parallel with the longitudinal sulcus, to a point midway between the middle line of the forehead and the temporal line, 4 cm above the supraorbital notch. The inferior frontal sulcus begins at the junction of the middle and lower thirds of the precentral sulcus, and follows the course of the superior temporal line. The horizontal limb of the intraparietal sulcus begins from the junction of the lower with the middle third of the postcentral sulcus, and curves backward, parallel to the longitudinal fissure, midway between it and the parietal eminence. It then curves downward to end midway between the lambda and the parietal eminence. The external part of the parieto-occipital fissure runs lateralward, at right angles to the longitudinal fissure, for about 2.5 centimeters from a point 5 millimeters in front of the lambda. If the line of the posterior ramus of the lateral cerebral fissure be continued back to the longitudinal fissure, the last 2.5 centimeters of it will indicate the position of the parieto-occipital fissure. The lateral ventricle may be circumscribed by a quadrilateral figure. The upper limit is a horizontal line 5 cm above the zygomatic arch. This defines the roof of the ventricle. The lower limit is a horizontal line 1 cm above the zygomatic arch. It indicates the level of the end of the inferior horn. Two vertical lines, one through the junction of the anterior and middle thirds of the zygomatic arch, and the other 5 cm behind the tip of the mastoid process, indicate the extent of the anterior horn in front and the posterior horn behind. Vessels. The line of the anterior division of the middle meningeal artery is equidistant from the frontozygomatic suture and the zygomatic arch. It is obtained by joining up the following points. 1. 2.5 cm, 2. 4 cm, and 3. 5 cm, from these two landmarks. The posterior division can be reached 2.5 cm above the auricular point. The position of the transverse sinus is obtained by taking two lines, the first from the inion to a point 2.5 centimeters behind the auricular point, the second from the anterior end of the first to the tip of the mastoid process. The second line corresponds roughly to the line of reflection of the skin of the auricula behind, and its upper two-thirds represents the sigmoid part of the sinus. The first part of the sinus has a slight upward convexity, and its highest point is about four centimeters behind and one centimeter above the level of the auricular point. The width of the sinus is about one centimeter. The face air sinuses. The frontal and maxillary sinuses vary so greatly in form and size that their surface markings must be regarded as only roughly approximate. To mark out the position of the frontal sinus, three points are taken one, the nasion. 2. A point in the middle line three centimeters above the nasion. 3. A point at the junction of the lateral and intermediate thirds of the superorbital margin. By joining these, a triangular field is described which overlies the greater part of the sinus. The outline of the maxillary sinus is irregularly quadrilateral and is obtained by joining up the following points. 1. The lacrimal tubercle. 2. A point on the zygomatic bone at the level of the inferior and lateral margins of the orbit. 3. And 4. Points on the alveolar process above the last molar and the second premolar teeth, respectively. External maxillary artery. The course of this artery on the face may be indicated by a line starting from the lower border of the mandible at the anterior margin of the masseter, and running at first forward and upward to a point one centimeter lateral to the angle of the mouth thence to the ala of the nose and upward to the medial commissure of the eye trigeminal nerve terminal branches of this nerve namely the supraorbital branch of the ophthalmic the infraorbital of the maxillary and the mental of the mandibular emerge from corresponding foramina on the face The supraorbital foramen is situated at the junction of the medial and intermediate thirds of the supraorbital margin. A line drawn from this foramen to the lower border of the mandible, through the interval between the two lower premolar teeth, passes over the infraorbital and mental foramina. The former lies about one centimeter below the margin of the orbit, while the latter varies in position according to the age of the individual. In the adult it is midway between the upper and lower borders of the mandible. In the child it is nearer the lower border, while in the edentulous jaw of old age it is close to the upper margin. The position of the sphenopalatine ganglion is indicated from the side by a point on the upper border of the zygomatic arch, 6 millimeters from the margin of the zygomatic bone. Parotid gland. The upper border of the parotid gland corresponds to the posterior two-thirds of the lower border of the zygomatic arch the posterior border to the front of the external acoustic meatus, the mastoid process, and the anterior border of sternocleidomastoideus. The inferior border is indicated by a line from the tip of the mastoid process to the junction of the body and greater cornue of the hyoid bone. In front, the anterior border extends for a variable distance on the superficial surface of the masseter. The surface marking for the parotid duct is a line drawn across the face about a finger's breadth below the zygomatic arch, that is, from the lower margin of the concha to midway between the red margin of the lip and the ala of the nose. The duct ends opposite the second upper molar tooth and measures about 5 centimeters in length. The Nose The outlines of the nasal bones and the cartilages forming the external nose can be easily felt. The mobile portion of the nasal septum formed by the medial crura of the greater alar cartilages and the skin, is easily distinguished between the nares. When the head is tilted back and a speculum introduced through the nares, the floor of the nasal cavity, the lower part of the nasal septum, and the anterior ends of the middle and inferior nasal conchae can be examined. The opening of the nasolacrimal duct, which lies under cover of the front of the inferior nasal concha, is situated about 2.5 centimeters behind the nares, and two centimeters above the level of the floor of the nasal cavity. End of section forty eight.